0: Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's
1: street lights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes
0: for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. McDow. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always
2: by Matt Williamson. Matt, you're, you're a busy man lately. What's going on? I am a busy man. I mean, we did not record a Dynasty Blueprint last week because I was out of town on a family vacation, a YMCA camp around here, Deer Valley, I go to every year. And it's all, always when I get back, it's like madness, you know, because camps are rolling, uh, there's very little internet access there. But this year is crazier than ever. I mean, usually I'm in touch with my ESPN you know, editors. I come back. I do the same thing. Well, this year I've got like four or five different podcasts going. <laughs> and I've been writing for a bunch of different sites and just started a daily one that I just recorded that we've done three of them so far called Locked on the NFL. And that's going really well. I, I urge people to check it out. And that's not going to be fantasy talk, but it's just pretty much a half hour a day of myself just babbling about NFL goings on.
0: That sounds great. I know uh, I know a lot of our listeners have enjoyed our fantasy and dynasty content but also want that pure NFL, pure football perspective from you and, and they can get that now on a couple of different
2: podcasts. So that's that's great news. And you know what? I'm heading to Steeler camp tomorrow too. I'll spend the night up there. So I'll do all day Thursday, all day Friday in La Trobe to watch the Stellars.
0: Sounds great. Good good reports about Sammy Coates early on.
2: Be interested yeah. to hear
0: hear your point of view about him.
2: Yeah, and and in person, I think I've mentioned it here. He's very impressive in person. Uh, the one guy though that there's no reports on is Ladarius Green. He hasn't been on the field yet, so I was anxious to see him. That's not going to happen immediately, I don't think.
0: Still, I guess recovering from that off-season, uh, it was a foot or ankle surgery, I believe. So hopefully, hopefully he'll get on the field soon. Absolutely. Yeah, we have an awesome guest today. We've got Sean Siegel, writer for Rotoviz, and Sean is is just. Uh, amazing. Uh, as I was preparing for this episode, I was going back and reading and rereading some of his recent work and some of his archived work there at Rotoviz, and just all of it is is so impressive. So, Sean, we're uh, glad to welcome you onto the Dynasty Blueprint.
1: Well, thanks. It's glad to be here and really like the show. I was just listening to the the episode with Scott talking about the fishbowl, and and that was was awesome. And so <laughs>
0: excited to be here. Well, Sean, we're going to jump right in, and I guess at this point you're you're pretty well known as the zero running back guy, and and I think that that strategy that that you first came up with, or at least you first wrote about a couple of years ago, I think has really been simplified by a, a lot of fantasy players as as just the zero running back strategy, just wait is you know simply wait on running backs. But there's a lot more to it than that. The the actual title of your original article was. Zero running back, anti fragility, and the myth of value-based drafting. So we want to talk about all of those pieces today. But just in its purest form, as a redraft strategy, how did you develop that? How did you come to that point of of basically waiting so long on running backs?
1: Well, I've been playing in in quite a few NFFC drafts, and you know that was a format that at one point only had you know half a point. Her reception for running backs and so you know once you start to look at the points that the different players are scoring you know it becomes very obvious that you want to have a lot of receivers you want to be very strong at receiver and you want to play a wide receiver in the flex position and so I started playing it that way but then even once they decided you know very quickly you know we went from a situation where the top running backs were so incredibly important to where you would want to level the field in one direction to where you know now it's almost the exact opposite where we're trying to level the field in the other direction so they went to a situation where running backs also got the full point and even when they made that change it was very clear that you know to win you need to be very strong at wide receiver and so then the question becomes you know how do you become what strong at wide receiver and how do you simultaneously address the other elements of your team? And there are a variety of ways to do that, but I found that the best thing for me was to make sure I just had this incredible firepower at wide receiver and then, you know, try to address the other positions as they went along. And you can do that through trying to target breakout running backs whom you've, you know, evaluated and you believe that they're right on the verge. You can do it through waivers. You can do it through a variety of things. And, you know, so as I was reading, you know, some of Taleb's work and, you know, he's talking about the anti-fragile and how some things really benefit from, you know, the types of chaos and stress where we usually look at those kinds of concepts or look at those kinds of environments and think, well, you know, things are just going to get worse from this. You know, when we have players injured, when we have loss of performance, then things are going to get worse. And it it just really sort of crystallized for me at that point that, you know, this is a way to... Really convey this concept that I've worked, been working with and I've been using in my drafts, where that's not the case for zero running back teams. They're actually going to get stronger during the season, and you know if you have put them together the right way, you know once you get into the middle of the season, you know you're hammering people on the bye weeks with your receiving power. You're moving running backs in through waivers. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this team where when you drafted it, people are making fun of you because you don't have any running backs. But then once you're in the midseason, you know, you're putting up 150, 170, 200, you know, even 230-point weeks. And, you know, it's very difficult for other teams to be competitive with that.
2: Sean, first of all, I urge everyone to read this article that Ryan's talking about. And he sent it to me yesterday or the day before. I read it about an hour ago And about a quarter or a third of the way in, I was like, man, I'm not smart enough to keep up with this dude. I don't know what the heck he's talking about. And then by the end of the article, I'm like, this makes a ton of sense. This is very good. And I'm not saying it was poorly written at the top. I just wasn't smart enough to know what the heck you were talking about. So can you go back to square one and even just tell our listeners what is value-based drafting and what's wrong with it? This is for redraft, though. We're not talking specifically Dynasty yet. Okay, so when you're looking
1: at trying to value the positions, you know, everybody creates projections, and then from those projections, you're looking at the specific format that you play, and trying to figure out how many people you have to start, and then who the replacement players would be, and trying to create sort of a baseline value. And then from that, you know, you can figure out how many points, you know, a player is really worth over the number of points that he's actually scoring and and that can be pretty effective in some ways and it's a very important sort of foundational point to understand. It's one of the reasons why, you know, quarterbacks are devalued even though they score so many points. But then, you know, once we start to look at that a little bit, we quickly find that both average draft position and the projections that we have, even good projections, you know, projections by, you know, the best people, you know, like a Mike Clay, for example, um, and then even when you aggregate those projections, they still don't explain enough of the year-end results to be – it's not that they're not useful. I mean, they're, they're the foundation point. But they won't give you the value or they won't give you the proper rankings for players that are really going to allow you to win your league. And so, you know, fundamentally that's the problem, is that the future is just is too hard to predict. And so you have to come up with a strategy or a general approach that lets you take advantage of the unpredictability as opposed to feeling like you can outpredict, you know, these other good people. I think, you know, I'm okay at, at doing the projections, and I, I feel good about that, but, you know, even if I am the same as... A lot of the other best people in terms of creating these projections. All that does is keep it so I have a basically random chance to win. Now you can say that there'll be a handful of people in your league who maybe aren't prepared, and so you know you have the advantage on that. But if you however, have-
2: however I just want to stop you real quick. Like you know, 15 years ago, half the room is drunk and not prepared. But now, all they have to do is click one site, and they're going to have at least a reasonable list. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, my buddies that don't do this for a living. I don't have that much of an advantage over them when we go to put the cards up on the board for a fantasy draft anymore cuz you know they they're working on the same list I am.
1: That's true. And and the lists have gotten a lot better. There's there's right. so much great information out there that you know almost wherever you go, you know you're going to get you know you're going to get projections that they're pretty accurate, you know to the extent that we can make them accurate.
0: So I really want to to focus today on how we can use this zero running back strategy. In a dynasty setting, I think one reason that that your your article and, and your strategy in general has become so popular is that's the way the NFL was really trending already. You know, we've we've seen more running backs by committee uh, across the NFL. We've seen uh, shorter careers for running backs, and and all those things have gone to uh, change the value of running backs in dynasty. So, Sean, talk about some of the differences between. Uh, the zero running back strategy in a redraft league versus the Dynasty league?
1: The Dynasty leagues, I think, are really interesting because you can make the argument that running backs are actually much more important in Dynasty because within redraft formats, I think there's a realistic limit to to how good any of the opposing teams can be. Now, by the time you get to the end of the season and, you know, when you look at the the teams that end up winning, you know, a quarter million dollars in this contest or that contest, I mean, those are very good teams. But but there's a there's a, a reasonable limit. Whereas in Dynasty, you know, you can be competing with people, you know, who have the equivalent of, you know, six or seven first-round picks in that year's redraft. And so if you want to beat them, you have to be very, very good. It might not be... You know, quite as possible to go without any running backs. At the same time, I do try and apply the same, you know, fundamental techniques where you're trying to embrace how much better you can get through, you know, being good with the the elements that are unpredictable or uncertain. And so, what I do in my leagues is I try and diversify my risk as much as possible by turning one player who is extremely good into hopefully three or four players who are good. And this kind of goes against, you know, sort of the, the fundamental principle of, you know, you always want to get the better player in the trade. I think if you can get rid of a player who has a ton of value and can actually get anywhere in the vicinity of fair value for him, then if you trust your evaluations of the players you're getting, then, you know, that can be a good move for you. So, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, Le'Veon Bell projected very well by some of the metrics that I really value in in looking at, at rookies. And so I owned him in all of my dynasty leagues based on, you know, drafting him in the rookie draft that, that given year. But then I have traded him away in all of my leagues in the attempt to get multiple players and multiple rookie picks. And I think that's how you can use sort of the running back position in Dynasty. Now, one of the problems you're starting to run into is that people won't pay very much for running backs. But, you know, a year ago, you know, Doug Martin's a guy who had a tremendous rookie season, and then he had a couple of bad seasons, and it was difficult to tell if those were injuries, if that was scheme, if it was a combination of those things and being on a bad team, or somehow the rookie season had been a fluke and he really just wasn't very good. But at the price that he was going for at that point, it seemed you know very much worth taking the risk and trying to get him in other trades, and and those would be the kinds of people that I would target to try and fill those those spots because again you know you probably are going to need some pretty decent running backs if you want to win your league, but then I traded him right again this off season in a trade where I I traded Martin and DeAndre Hopkins for Amari Cooper and the 106, and at least according to our Roto-Biz you know, trade calculator, that's a huge loss on my part in terms of the value of the players, but it allowed me to pursue a strategy where I then was able to trade Dante Moncrief and the 106, which turned into Sterling Shepherd, for Jarvis Landry and Will Fuller. And again it's kind of this situation where if you can put together multiple trades that allow you to accomplish your objectives, then I think you can put together the overall team that you want. And it's not even necessarily a matter of winning the individual trades. What it is is looking at your evaluations and saying this is how I construct my roster in a way that I have as many possible ways to hit. I've used these top players to minimize my risk, but if I believe in my evaluations, then I have so many players coming back up through. And so if you look at any of my rosters, they're going to look like, you know, they have busts, and then they have young players, and you're looking at, well, where are the top players? You know, how did you get the results from last season? And every year, I'm trading away those top guys in order to try and build a deeper and deeper roster. And some of that obviously depends on your settings. If you have, you know, 15 or 20 players, then it makes it more difficult. You have to keep some of those top guys, obviously, because then you end up in a situation where you actually are just having to cut people you acquired. But if you're playing in some fun leagues where you have IDP and you have 55, 60 roster spots, then, you know, if you get to the point where you have Will Fuller and Tyler Boyd as, you know, like your number 13, number 14 wide receiver, then even if you traded away some top guys to get that, the likelihood of those people coming back through and filling in is very strong. And then you know when you're going down the stretch in a playoff chase you can trade for a running back on a team that's not good
2: you know who really wants to get a young wide receiver. Sean, I got a Sean, question for like most people I I started my you know fantasy career doing redraft and I'm somewhat new to dynasty and, and when I got to start doing dynasty I was shocked that wow I can get away with only starting one running back that's so great. You know I mean the, obviously there's a lot of different formats out there, but that has to change the way you value the position, though, right? I mean, if you can only start one running back, that's a big perk when you can start five or six receivers or whatnot. And then my follow-up to that is, I've been still in one redraft league with my buddies from high school and whatnot, and that one is standard. It's not uh, PPR, and we have to start two, and we can. We have to start two running backs, and we can start three receivers. But you know, would you still go receiver in the top three rounds? Yeah, I think again the the format plays such
1: a big role. that several of the main formats that I that I do the the one that I'm was in through Pro Football Focus and you know the friends and family league there uh, with you know, Mike Clay and Jeff Ratcliffe and Pat Thorman and those guys, is is pretty balanced to where, you know, we have sort of two and three and then some flex spots, and it's half PPR. You know, I have one with Ross Miles, the Iron Throne Dynasty League, which is a crazy, you know, awesome league where, you know, we have up to nine offensive starters. You know, you have two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, and then a bunch of flex positions. And, again, half PPR, but then, you know, some bonuses for tight ends. So the format's just define so much how you're trying to go about it. I think at this point, if you want to have a league that's balanced at all, you almost have to go back to half PPR because, you know, the wide receivers are so powerful. But even in those formats, the wide receivers score pretty well, and they score, you know, not that you're ever going to be able to predict the performance of these players to a level where you can be like, well, it just, you know, there's no more to it. But the wide receiver performances, you know, you can feel more comfortable with them and and what you're going to get. And so it makes sense to try and, you know, build your strength there and then embrace the unpredictability of the running back position.
0: So, Sean, if I'm understanding zero running back correctly, for that strategy to really work in in any format, you need those backup running backs to really uh, step up somehow and take a take a major role either through injury to the starter or maybe just outperforming the starter and, and if that's if that's correct don't you want that same thing aren't you looking for that same thing to happen in a dynasty league exactly and the positions or the, the profile
1: that i like to target the best is the profile where you have a a pass catching running back who also if if anything happens to the starter, you know, you're you're not ever rooting for anyone to get hurt, but you know that some injuries are going to happen. And then the other thing that you see is if someone goes out and performs really well as a receiver and is very dynamic in space and is breaking big plays, and the starter, you know, is averaging, you know, three and a half, four yards an attempt, then the temptation for the coach is going to be, you know, to use that you know, use that space-back a little bit more often, especially if the space-back has some feature-back qualities. And so, you know, if we can look at people, you know, like a Charles Sims, um, like a Gio Bernard, like, you know, obviously Jarrett McKinnon is not going to beat out Adrian Peterson because that's just not going to happen. But, you know, if you look at a situation where if Peterson – not even completely hurt, but just had some sort of nagging injury to where maybe you wanted to go to a timeshare because McKinnon is so dynamic and explosive. Now, those are the kinds of players where you can own them, they have some standalone value, and then if things break the right way, all of a sudden you're sitting on, you know, not just a decent player, but someone who can be a top 10 running back. And if you own quite a few of those guys, and in Dynasty you can own quite a few because you can, you know, make a a variety of trades to where you're constantly acquiring then your chances to, in any given season to have multiple breakouts is, is quite good. And so then without having spent the resources, you know, you end up with explosive production. And that's, I think, the key
2: to, to those Dynasty titles. Hey, Ryan, what do you know about Loot Crate? With Loot Crate, you get collectibles, apparel, and more from your favorite pop culture franchise delivered right to your door every single month. We're talking about a new T-shirt in every crate, figures, comics, stuff for your kitchen, a wide range of exclusive items you can't get anywhere else from fan-favorite franchises like Harry Potter, Marvel Comics, Fallout 4, Star Wars, and so much more. And you get it all for less than 20 bucks a month. And you get even for less if you head to lootcrate.com slash dynastyblueprint and then enter the code dynastyblueprint and you save big off your subscription on top of that. It's It's a pretty cool deal. And right now... From bad guys doing good things for the wrong reasons to good guys with questionable tactics, August is the perfect time to explore the anti-hero, walk-the-hero-villain line with this 100% exclusive collection of items from DC Comics, Archer, Dark Horse, and Kill Bill that includes two great collectibles, a wearable, and, of course, your monthly tee. It's good stuff. Yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Sean, let's
0: get back to some running back value. I found, and, and I guess this has changed or, organically over the past few years, but I found that I value that top tier running backs—Bell, Gurley, Elliott. You know, I still think of them as long-term assets. But basically, every other running back, I'm, I'm valuing them about the same way in redraft and dynasty leagues. Do you find that to be true?
1: I think that would be that would be very accurate. I, those those top backs, even though I have traded a few, like I was saying, I think in a dynasty format, you know, if you're trying to build this superpower, this team that's going to win, you know, three, four, five titles, or you know, you can't necessarily control the playoffs, but you want to be in, say, you know, six semifinals in a row, then you know, having those players is going to really help. After that, I really just think you want to be targeting the people who who have the upside, who have the standalone value, who have the committee roles, and then, you know, that can grow into something else. You want to own people like Tevin Coleman who, even though I think at this point, you know, you can argue that Freeman is actually pretty undervalued. You know, to have a running back who did what he did last year, who's now going, you know, second round in some redraft leagues, very easy to acquire, you know, within within context in Dynasty, even with someone that good, you, you definitely still want to own Coleman because any little injury or you know a stretch of three games where Freeman you know struggles to a, a low yards per carry average even if that's just random you know the coaches are going to look at Coleman and think you know here's someone who every time he touches the ball could go 70 yards for the touchdown and and those plays help you know those plays challenge the defense you know they're they're like big passing plays and so if you have some players like that who because right now they're backups you can acquire inexpensively, you know, you just want to be stockpiling those kinds of people.
0: All right, well, let's look at some specific examples. I know you've got our July ADP from DLF. So if you don't mind, just let's just go round by round and and see what a a Sean Siegel startup draft might look like.
2: Hey, Ryan, before we do that, Sean, when about are you thinking you're going to pull the trigger in a startup draft on a running back? Sixth or seventh round maybe? Yeah, that's that's where I would look. It it okay. really just depends on the receivers because
1: sure. if the receivers are there, I will just keep taking them. You know, I I would take all receivers and then just look to make trades you know, if they're there. But okay, you know, it's one of those things where I, you know, people talk about staying flexible and they get mad because they they say, "Well, if you're take if you're going zero running back, then, you know, you might pass up on this huge value." And that's not something I would I would recommend. You know, if you have say Todd Gurley in the third round, then, you know, you want to stay flexible and take him. The problem with the idea of staying flexible is that the values that people think are there just really aren't there. But the same thing is true at receiver. If you get to a spot where the receiver value is very flat and you have some good running backs, then, you know, you don't keep drafting wide receivers just to say, hey, look, you know, I drafted a receiver here.
2: I think it's a great point that you mentioned, you know, when you do your startup draft, that doesn't mean you got to put your starting lineup in that next day. You know, I mean, you, you can make a lot of trades and move around and get guys you want too. Just take the best players. Right. Exactly.
0: So in the first round, um, Sean, I'm assuming you're taking a wide receiver. Who's the Who's the player you might be targeting there? Well, if we assume sort of a, a middle of the
1: round position, you know, I'm I'm looking at Amari Cooper. His, a lot of people feel like at this point he's almost overvalued because. You know, he's had one good season, and a lot of people, especially when you're talking about the first round, they want to see, you know, this long track record. The research that I've done on collegiate performance and then year one performance suggests that he's just going to be a monster. Now, you know, again, you're, you've are you got a little bit more risk if you're talking about someone who doesn't have the length of, of track record, but I think that I know there's a lot of great information out there about how, you know, maybe Dynasty is getting to be inefficient where people are not prioritizing the veterans enough, but but my startup drafts are going to be very young. And so, you know, Cooper might be as high as my number two overall player behind Beckham, and
0: so he'd be the guy I'd be looking at in the first round. All right, I'm on board with that pick. In the second round, are you looking at someone like uh, Brandon Cooks, maybe? Exactly. That's, That's who I had down on my sheet here again, you're looking at very young,
1: explosive performance in college, and then you're looking at, you know, two very solid years. One of the things I think that can happen is because we've had so many elite performances by first and second year players over the last couple of years, you know, we're starting to lose maybe a sense of context for for what the early performance actually does project. And so when you look at Cooks, he hasn't been quite as good as you might have hoped. But he's been, he's been excellent. And then you put him in that New Orleans system, and clearly the Saints spread it around a bunch. So some of the value of Drew Brees throwing for these insane totals every, year's, every year gets spread out. But even with that, you know, I think, you know, Brandon Cooks has a very high floor. You know, he has that touchdown potential to have a fluky year where he scores, you know, 15, 16, 17 touchdowns. And, you know, when you have a high floor, you've got this chance for a – a
2: year where he almost wins you the league by himself. I think that's a very good pick in round two. I think that's a great pick in round two, and I love Cooks, but how many running backs out there would you take ahead of him? If you, if you took Cooper in round one and no running backs has been taken, I mean, obviously that's not the way it's going to go, and Cooks is sitting there as well as every running back on the planet, would you still take Cooks?
1: I actually might. I probably would take their running back and then trade them because I think that there's there's more value there. I think that if you're looking at Todd Gurley and and David Johnson, I and mean, clearly Johnson has again some track record kinds of things where people are skeptical. But you know you look at his athleticism and then you look at his college performance. You know, not it was done at a little bit lower level, but very few people do what he did in college, where you have this monster workload and then. You know, I, I'm always very skeptical of eyeball evaluations, but, you know, you watch what he did as a rookie and you watch, you know, he dropped some passes, but some of the passes he caught were passes that most wide receivers wouldn't catch. And so if you have that in a big back, then, you know, it's it's going to be very tempting to take someone like that, you know, even, even as a running back, even in the first round.
0: All right, Sean, I'm so really I'm interested good. in your target in the third round. In that range, we've got a couple of rookie wide receivers, Treadwell and Corey Coleman. We've got some sophomore wide receivers who are still pretty unproven, Kevin White, Devontae Parker, and Doriel Green-Beckham. Are you going for one of those guys or someone more established? Well, I'm going to take the pretty controversial pick here and, and go with Jordan
1: Matthews. He's someone who, there's just a ton of skepticism about both exactly what his skill set is and the eagles offense, and both of those things are very legitimate, and so I have no problem with people who who don't want him in redraft and, and don't want him that high in dynasty but his again, his college performance was was just spectacular, and then he went to the combine and he was more athletic than people thought who were saying, "Well, you know this is just a you know a little possession guy who caught a bunch of passes because they didn't have anybody else you know and then he went out and it's a little bit of an arbitrary threshold, but he hit the 200-point barrier in both of his first two seasons. A little bit of that, almost in the garbage time, you know, phase of fantasy. So you know, people don't care for that. They're like, well, I rostered this guy all year long, and you know, he didn't win my league for me. But when you start to look at what he's done, you know, his per-target numbers are very similar to to Allen Robinson. Um, his his first two years, you know, if you pull him up kind of in the road of his heat map, for example, you're going to see he looks very similar to Des Bryant. And not that he's going to be as good as those players, but I just, I really value production, and I, I value people who, who have gotten it done over, you know, this idea that someone with traits is going to turn it on. And so, and I also don't see exactly how Philadelphia can do anything but feed him, because they don't have anybody else. So even if, even if he's maybe limited to certain kinds of things, those are the things the Eagles need to do if they want to move the ball. So so I like the the productive player there. I, I like Matthews and and I own him in basically all my leagues, Dynasty, redraft, NFL tens, and you know, if, if that doesn't work out, I'm okay with it because you know, I, I think he's earned the respect of, of me drafting him and, and so I'm willing to sink or swim with that one there.
0: All right, so through three rounds, uh, no surprise, you've got three wide receivers, Cooper, Cooks, and Jordan Matthews. I think the fourth round, looking at this list of players, is is really where it gets difficult to continue down that wide receiver path, um, especially if you're focusing on young players, as you mentioned, you like to. Some of the receivers in that fourth round range, Jeremy Macklin, Tate, Brandon Marshall, and then a couple of younger guys, uh, John Brown, and, and then the rookie, Josh Dotson, along with uh, some running backs and quarterbacks. So really interested to hear what uh, direction you're going in the fourth round.
1: This is the round, I think, where you know, if you feel like the veterans are getting knocked down too much that you would pull the trigger there. You know, I, I really like Jamal Charles. I think he's the best running back in football. You know, with apologies to Adrian Peterson, I don't even really think it's that close when you look at, you know, what he can do on a per-play basis and, and bring to the table in a, in a variety of ways. And obviously the Chiefs are my hometown team, so, you know, I would be, I would be very tempted to land Charles. The question is, is how much he has left, you know, if they're going to cut back his workload this year as he recovers from yet another knee injury. You know, if, if you lose some of that running back one value this season and then he's starting to get older... The other thing that I think you always have to consider is, you know, where your trade value is going to be because you don't want to get, you know, locked into any given team. You know, I I don't like to acquire the veteran players, but I do think there at some point, you know, you have players that are just so valuable. And so, you know, last year I went out and, and acquired Calvin Johnson for some teams, and I, I don't like to ever get in a situation where you own a player and you can't trade him before – the value disappears. And so obviously in that situation with Johnson, you know, that was a, a big issue. And so I would probably lean away from that and just go with John Brown there. I think he, you know, before the head injury the other day, he was my favorite to to lead the Cardinals in in receiving this year. And uh, those are just so scary. So now, I'd, you know, you back off of that a little bit. but But he would be my pick.
0: All right, so through four rounds, Cooper, Cooks, Matthews, and John Brown, Matt. That sounds like a team that both of us would would be on board with.
2: Uh, except for Matthews, yes. <laughs> I'm just not a Matthews fan. I own him nowhere. I have no desire to own him anywhere. But yes, I mean that's exactly how I would attack the draft as well. I'd love to get Cooper in the middle of the first round. I'd love to get Cooks in the in the and thir- the fourth or the second, and John Brown in the fourth. I think all those guys are studs. I just I'm not a Matthews fan, but let's just where we we'll disagree on one guy.
0: All right, fifth round, Sean. Um, again, some veteran wide receivers, kind of a good mix here. We see of course, more running backs, uh, some quarterbacks and tight ends even coming off the board. so lots of directions to go in the fifth round. Who are you targeting there? As I was
1: looking at this, I, I decided that I would probably reach a little bit. Just outside the sixth round there, you have Travis Kelsey, and I, I do think, you know, one of the things you can do if if you're going with a, a zero running back-ish kind of draft is to make sure you also have some of the other receiving positions or the other receiving position taken care of. Kelsey's a guy where, you know, you look at his athleticism, his production, and it's very strong. I think he's pretty cheap right now because... So many of his biggest fans were a little disappointed with the 2015 season, and I actually think that's great, because the Chiefs, little by little, are getting stronger offensively. They're getting, you know, just barely more efficient, barely more explosive, and I think that they're ready to really come on in 2016, and... You know, you look at what they're doing there, and they still don't. They've added some good pieces for the second, third wide receiver positions, but the points are going to definitely still come from Macklin and Kelsey. And so, you know, that's kind of a good spot where you can address that tight end position, and then be ready to take the values that fall to you as you continue through the draft.
2: I like that pick a lot. I do think he's undervalued right now. You know, he's going to catch a lot of passes. I think his touchdown numbers will probably go up. I mean, he's a, the number two, maybe even a borderline number one receiver in a good offense. So,
0: Sean, I, I like your flexibility there going outside of that fifth-round fifth group, but I do notice that we have both Tyler Eifert and Jordan Reed in that fifth-round group. You opted to go away from those guys and reach, as you mentioned, for Kelsey. So is that a case of, like you said, just thinking Kelsey is undervalued right now, or would you rank Kelsey above both of those guys in Dynasty? I think I would have them
1: pretty, pretty even. One of the things I did was I, I sort of moved down off of the very top people there in case I had a, a middle of the middle of the round pick and, and wouldn't have access to read. The other thing with both of those guys is the injury risk is so high, and if you get a big value due to the injury risk, then I then I like it. Um, but you also just always this idea of looking to the future and trading the players. I think it's important that they're able to continue on so that you can trade them. The other issue of maybe with Reed is that he would be the guy you look at there, and you know our the Rotoviz Sim scores have him above Gronkowski, you know, for this season. And those are focused on what happened last year, obviously. But then you look at what they've done, and again, you never know what's going to happen. But if you look at the the receiver pick, you also look at the fact that Jamison Crowder had a very you know underrated rookie season, and so I think the target competition for Reed is actually going to be much higher. And that doesn't mean that he can't score. I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical of the idea that just because there are other good players that, that you can't score. If you're the best guy, you know, if you're the touchdown scorer, which it seems like he probably is, then those points should keep coming. But when you look at the multiple types of risk with Reed, then you don't necessarily avoid him. I, I've got him a lot of my NFL 10s, but you don't... I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, desperately trying to get in there either. He feels better
0: after 10. Okay, so with Kelsey as your fifth-round pick, let's find one more guy in the sixth-round range. Personally, uh, using the same strategy, this is probably where I would start to look running back. Uh, I like Duke Johnson. I like Gio Bernard. Uh, there are still some uh, wide receivers I, I wouldn't mind having on my team. Who do you like in the, that sixth-round range uh, besides Kelsey? Well,
1: I when I first put together my list, I actually had Melvin Gordon down for – for that. And then I saw that you know perhaps I could get him in even one more round. And so, you know, I was gonna I was gonna wait another pick there. But you know, Gordon is a guy who I think fits you know what we had last year with Doug Martin, where you know coming off of a really terrible season, there's not any other way to spin that. But but someone who his combination of the You know what they spent to acquire him in the draft, and then you're looking back to how he performed in college. You're looking at a big back who doesn't have like this insane agility, like Le'Veon Bell, at least in terms of tested agility. But his agility numbers through the various tests of the combine were were excellent. And you look at the fact that he actually caught you know 30 passes last season, even though you know they had Danny Woodhead there, who you know is the target, the target vacuum and With that, I think if he performs, you know, it it just randomly even. He he has a couple of big runs, you know, their offense performs better, he scores a couple touchdowns, then you're looking at someone who even if the actual performance hadn't changed very much, you know, you'd see him going in round two or three. I, I really believe that he's undervalued by multiple rounds. And so so I love where his ADP is and and I I'm always kind of risking it in terms of seeing how low I can get in. But someone like that, you know, that's where I would really you know want to go running back and and get someone who is not just undervalued but is is undervalued by by multiple rounds. And that doesn't mean that there aren't other good picks in there too because Duke Johnson is someone who you know I think you should be trying to get everywhere. You've got a guy with incredible college performance, you know, decently athletic, a great receiver in an offense where they want to run the ball, and even though they have other guys, they seem like they would really like to use as their early down running backs, he's just better than those guys are. And so it doesn't mean that he'll earn all of that work, but you look at the kind of workload that he projects to have and then where he's going in fantasy drafts, and it's, it's just a no-brainer in all formats.
0: All right, let's do a couple more rounds here. You've got four wide receivers. You've got your tight end set with Travis Kelsey, and then you've got your first running back, Melvin Gordon. Uh, what about that next group of 12 players? Who do you like from that from that tier? Well, I I
1: had um, – if, if you let me take Gordon in there, that I would take and sort of right on the borderline, you know, I would take Stephon Diggs. I think there's someone who is – is going to be the number one in Minnesota. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for a long time. It doesn't have to be a thing where, you know, he's the number one and Treadwell's the number two. Uh, they can – I don't think that they have the other weapons there to where their, you know, targets really even have to affect each other that much. I think, you know, they they get that offense juiced up a little bit. They throw more passes. Ridgewater comes on. You know, they go into that new facility. and And I think you're going to see a lot different type of offense, and and that should benefit all of those players. I'm not 100% sure where the the big discount in Diggs comes from, because he's somebody who, he was extraordinary in college once you adjust for the tempo um, and the overall volume of what they did. And when you start to look at his sort of yards per team attempt results, you look at his market share results, and he profiles as someone who should have been picked in the first round. And then you look at that and, and, and see that he is one of the most—he's one of the most successful in you know, a later round picks that we've ever seen as a rookie. So when you put those things together, again, I think that you can bet on production there and pick someone who you know has has a top 15 wide receiver potential,
2: who you can get in the you know fifth, sixth, seventh round range. I think it's a good point. I mean, it, it shocks me that he does go that low, and I hadn't realized it till just now when you mentioned. It. I'm like, wow, he he would still be available in a, a startup. I mean, a second year player that has a lot of ability. Um, obviously, it's a run first offense, but will it be for much longer? I mean, Peterson's not going to last forever. Is it going to be a a Seattle Seahawks situation where Lynch moves on, Peterson moves on, they give the reins to the to the quarterback and, and make it more passing, more pass happy? I'm not sure that Bridgewater's capable of being that guy, but you got to think the passing attempts are going to go up in minnesota
1: yeah i would expect a, a good jump in in volume and it, it's a deal I, a year ago people were saying you know it's silly that stafford is being valued above bridgewater in in dynasty and clearly you have to look at the, the new evidence you've gotten. And the new evidence we've gotten with Bridgewater is that maybe, you know, he's much more of an Alex Smith type of quarterback, and so you have to expect that type of performance and that type of offense. But, you know, even in that kind of offense, we saw Jeremy Macklin put up very good numbers last year, and, and that's what I would expect from Diggs. I expect a, a big step forward and, and big numbers from him.
0: All right, Sean, we'll do one more round, so uh, no surprise you're stacked at wide receiver. Lots of um, young <laughs> options there. Uh, you do have the one running back in Melvin Gordon. Eighth round, who are you targeting?
1: Well, the guys there that I'm looking at are, are Tyler Boyd and Will Fuller. They're my number two and number three ranked wide receivers from this current class. You know, once you go through and you run the projections and you look at both where they were picked and their college production that balances out some of the things that the, the higher wide receiver picks had. And, you know, so when you look to year three, you look to year four, you know, their, their numbers project to be the same as, you know, some of those guys who are much trendier. Now, again, this, this kind of goes back to the idea of embracing uncertainty and sort of having a humility-based approach to the fantasy draft and saying you know I don't know everything you know I'm looking at it and when I'm picking Boyd and Fuller I don't have to say well you know these are the guys I have ranked higher and you other people are wrong because it's it's very likely that the other people are right the great thing about you know liking Boyd and liking Fuller is that you can see if you were right fairly cheaply as compared to the price of some of those other guys. So you can take sort of a confident approach in your in your evaluations, while also taking a humble approach at the same time, saying, you know, I'm gonna take these guys because I like them, but also because they're inexpensive. And so then, if I miss, you know, the cost there was such that I can recoup that by continuing to draft other people that fit into that evaluative framework that I have.
0: All right, so let's go away from the round-by-round um, ADP analysis just a little bit through eight rounds of your draft you would have six wide receivers one tight end and one running back and obviously you would have to fill out that roster with some running backs in the later round, a quarterback in the later round who are some some of the late round dynasty running backs and again this, this could apply to redraft as well um, since those later running backs are uh, valued similarly across the formats but who are some late round running backs you might be targeting to fill maybe even a starting spot.
1: Yeah, well, I think just going in that next round there, you have to really like Charles Sims. He gets – it is a blow to his chances that they've just re-signed Martin. But, you know, he – in some ways he has the more valuable workload of the two of them with getting the receptions there. And and he's a bigger talent, I think, than than a lot of people give him credit for. And so he's also a great fit for what they want to do offensively. You know, you look at Tevin Coleman and, you know, trying to take advantage of, you know, what happens if he does win the job. If he wins the job, then you're probably not going to see the receptions that a Freeman had, but you could see see even more yardage. I mean, you could see one of those, um, from a rushing perspective, you could see one of those seasons where he challenges records. I mean, his the fit, um, his talent, the chance for, you know, he he has the ability to do those Chris Johnson, Jamal Charles type of runs, where with just a handful of runs he could add on, you know, hundreds of yards to his his full season numbers, and obviously that's going to help you a lot in in fantasy. And it can do a thing where if some of those runs happen during the playoffs, then he could win you the league by himself. You know, you're looking for some of those guys who have the potential for absolutely gigantic games, and I think that he brings that. Uh, going down a little bit more, even if. Adrian Peterson continues to play for a long time, which I w- certainly wouldn't put past him. I mean, he's he's amazing. Then there's still the possibility that that won't all be with Minnesota, and and the same thing with McKinnon. If if for some reason they do keep Peterson for a m- much longer period of time, then you know his chances to eventually go elsewhere are definitely good. And so I I think. People are maybe a little bit down on him because when he was a rookie and had that opportunity, he wasn't quite as impressive as as some other rookies have been. But his performance was fine, especially when you consider you know what his experience level was there. And I, he, he's somebody that I I just want in every in every format. Um, and then I think you're you're just trying to get a lot of those those rookie back and receiving backs. You look at people like. DeAndre Washington and um, Wendell Smallwood you look at the the guy who is super intriguing even though he wasn't even drafted is Josh Ferguson you know someone who had a ton of receptions in college and has a depth chart situation he's dealing with that is very favorable that doesn't mean that Frank Gore isn't going to have a great year this year because it, you know he
2: may set up to, to be to do that but all three of those guys really have that depth chart working in their favor you know i mean the, the guy ahead of them isn't wonderful he might not be there long. you know. They're, they're probably going to catch, catch passes in the meantime. I like all three of those guys. Yeah, I think having a little bit of standalone value can be right,
1: right. so important because if you can put a guy out there and, and even get six or seven points, then you know those kind of things add up. And and if something breaks the right way, then you have a huge point total, not just in the given week, but, but for the course of the season. The other thing that, that's easy to lose track of is that even when you're starting – Top end running backs, especially early down running backs who have this big workload, if they're not catching a lot of passes, then you're so reliant on them scoring a touchdown for even those high profile backs to actually have a useful fantasy week. So if you're starting a guy with some standalone value who catches a few passes, you know your chances that that you won't even lose much ground on people starting much higher po- profile players, you know those
0: those chances are pretty good. One rookie who may not have that depth chart in his favor, uh, but I, I still like a little bit is Tyler Irvin. What are your thoughts on him? He's somebody that that, that I think readers at
1: RotoViz have gotten a little annoyed. We've written so many articles on. He he comes out as the number two back in Kevin Cole's research that he did and, and was published on Roto-World. His... And one of the things that I've written about, and and certainly this is is somewhat controversial, but a lot of people really like the big backs, and I kind of like the smaller backs. I think the NFL is going that direction. I think that, you know, there have been some studies, again, a study that Kevin did showing that the small backs, when they're allowed to get goal line carries, their performance is actually pretty good. Uh, You might run a different kind of play if you have a smaller back in there, but that you can, you know, even from a touchdown scoring perspective, those people are not necessarily a liability. And then you look at what they can do in the open field, what they bring to you as a receiver. Those are the people that that I'm targeting. And Irvin is a guy who, you know, his athleticism is better than people think. His college results were better, I think, than, than gets publicized a lot. And, yeah, I mean, he's somebody who, you know, I, I think he should be targeting everywhere.
0: The last thing we have for you is um, just looking at, at some potential breakout players. And as I was looking back over some of your recent work over at RotoViz, that's really all you've been focusing on this summer is, is trying to identify the next breakout player. So, some of your recent articles, of course, you've had the top 15 zero running back candidates for 2016. That was, um, I believe, a four part series. You also had seven freakish athletes who could emerge as. The 2016's breakout wide receiver, also a secret source of opportunity for three undervalued second-year running backs. Uh, Targets at a discount, five opportunity-based sleepers, and surprising facts from the last 15 years of wide receiver breakout. So clearly you've done a lot of work this offseason focused on those uh, breakout players. But if you had to narrow all that work down to just one or two potential breakout players that you would be targeting in Dynasty? Who would those be? Well, a couple of the
1: guys who I actually am a little more nervous about because the production in some cases hasn't been there. And, you know, I've talked a lot about how, you know, I value production above all. But with Sammy Coates and Philip Dorsett, you've got a couple of guys where you have offenses that most people think are going to be explosive you have players who are incredibly athletic, albeit in slightly different ways, and you have opportunity that is off the charts. In a couple of those articles that you mentioned, I talked about where we might be pricing the opportunity wrong, and this goes back to the idea of sort of a a contingency-based or humility-based approach to fantasy football and embracing kind of the uncertainty where... I like Dante Moncrief, I owned Dante Moncrief in all of my dynasty leagues before I traded him because I thought his price was getting up there to where the very optimistic and enthusiastic outcome was actually being priced in, and that's the point where I try to trade people. You look at the difference in price between Moncrief and Dorset, and I think it just very heavily favors Dorset. Which isn't to say that I don't think Moncrief is going to have the better season. I think he actually is going to have the better season, but when you look at the cost and the probabilities, you're much better off betting on Dorset. And that's a situation where, you know, people are so focused on how many passes they're going to throw and what the opportunity is. Well, if that's the case, then even with him being slightly underwhelming as a rookie, I mean, you just have to be buying him like crazy at those prices. I think a similar thing is true for Coates, where when you look at, at all of the research, it's definitely not good to have a rookie year like he had. At the same time, and it's not great to, to sort of see your performance in college fall your last year before you declare like his did a little bit. But when you look at some of the performance he did have, you look at the fact that he was in an offense that's not going to give you these crazy numbers. And then you look at him being blocked behind Bryant last year and You know, those are the kind of situations where you wouldn't maybe see someone who didn't perform as a rookie but was blocked and then just explodes this season. A lot of people are down on Roethlisberger because of what he's lost, but when you look at that offense, only the person who drafts number one is going to get a shot in Antonio Brown. And so then... I thought it was really upsetting when Ladarius Green wasn't able to start training camp because he was somebody else that I wanted in in almost every league. But you look at those two guys and you look at what their offense is going to do, I would strongly prefer to bet on them as opposed to bet on Wheaton, which, again, isn't to say that he couldn't have a good year because he certainly could.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us today, Sean. Um, great stuff, just like all of your content over at RotoViz. Tell us, uh, other than Rotoviz, any any other plugs? Any anywhere else we can find your work?
1: I'm I'm working exclusively for Rotoviz right now, and and certainly appreciate people going over there, checking us out, and trying some of those apps. Um, and I also strongly recommend, you know, people. Obviously, if you're listening here, you're probably already following these guys, but they're they're tremendous, and I strongly recommend reading and and following their work.
0: All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll be back with more next week.